Hello there, and welcome to episode one of Disrupt Podcast's dedicated series on African agritech. Covering the continent's agricultural technology revolution, what has been achieved so far, how we are progressing, and what is still to be done to ensure African farmers produce enough food to feed the continent, and perhaps the rest of the world, while also building sustainable agribusinesses. Brought to you in partnership with South African agritech company IQ Logistica, this three-part mini-series looks at the history of agritech in Africa, the issues it is addressing, its potential impact, and what more is needed to ensure the sector fulfills that potential. We hope you enjoy it. We've all heard the stats, or at least some of them. In sub-Saharan Africa, more than half of employed people are active in agriculture. And the continent's agriculture sector accounts for about 35% of Africa's GDP. These shares are more than double those of the world average, and much higher than those of any other emerging region. Dependence on agriculture has declined in other emerging regions, with Southeast Asia, for example, seeing the sector's share of GDP drop from 30 to 35% in 1970 to 10-15% to now. In Africa, it's remained unchanged for decades. Yet at the same time, the continent's agricultural sector is the world's least developed, with the lowest levels of labour and land productivity. Around 45% of the world's area suitable for sustainable agriculture production expansion is located in Africa. Kenya, for example, has about 8 million hectares of arable land, which makes up more than half the country's total land mass. Yet the continent also has the lowest agriculture productivity per worker rates in the world. These are the dichotomies that make up Africa's agricultural sector. Huge impact, rich potential, yet chronically underpowered. And that is a crying shame. Even before the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, which brought to light the fragility of global agricultural value chains and the reliance on so-called bread baskets for food imports, Africa had been spoken of as a potential breadbasket of the world. Now, as other breadbaskets suffer, its potential is even more clear. My personal fascination for you know what has become a 17-year journey that's led me here has really been the the promise of what could be an incredibly robust system where the the continent had the ability to feed not only itself but to feed the world and and really just seeing how disjointed that 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 market was. Yeah, African agriculture, far from feeding the world, can't even currently feed Africa. Across the continent, the number of people experiencing food insecurity at a moderate or severe level increased from 512 million in 2014 to 795 million in 2021, nearly 60% of the continent's population. Most African countries, sadly, are net food importers, meaning the continent has been disproportionately affected by the Russia-provoked global crisis. At least 82% of Africa's basic food imports come from outside the continent. In Eastern Africa, 84% of wheat demand is met by imports. As in other sectors, the utilisation of tech surely holds the answer. Speaking previously was David Jeremy, Director of Business Development IQ Logistica, a South African agritech company that is establishing itself as a platform that helps farmers scale their businesses more efficiently. Formed in 2014 as a technology services provider to government for digital management of the cotton supply chain, IQ Logistica was purchased in 2020 by Zebu Investment Partners, co-run by David, and immediately pivoted to focus specifically on being a platform for the farming community, as opposed to being a service provider for government. With that in mind, the company launched Farmer's Friend, a new companion farming operations mobile application. The tool is for farmers to use in-field to manage their full farming operations straight from their phones or tablets, and offers a new way for farmers to easily view, manage and access all of their operational data to mitigate risks, successfully implement lucrative stakeholder relationships and optimise their yield opportunities. David lived in San Francisco for much of his life, while also doing 10 years on Wall Street, where he first became interested in markets. 
He moved to Africa in 2008 after becoming convinced of the potential of agriculture on the continent, which eventually led to the acquisition of IQ Logistica. I had been working with the company since 2014, IQL that is, and um, in, we the, the company initially was born in 2014 out of a, a grant from the South African government to provide traceability to South Africa's cotton sector. So I was on the finance side of the equation with uh, the the grant that you know was generated out of out of the SA government, and um, and I was always excited about seeing the kind of data in in the breadth of the data that was coming off of the back of the platform, but at the time it was relegated to more focused around traceability. And a certification standard for for the the cotton industry at large, and so when um, when I had finished up, I I was running specialized finance for one of the big agri co ops here in South Africa. When um, when the company approached me about essentially pivoting the strategy. Um, I became really excited because I I had seen the utility of the platform was really much more, should have been much more focused at, at, at farm level, where certainly, you know, users of the platform are by far the, the most fragile in, in any sort of given supply chain. So my, um, my partner, Yandre van der Westeisen, and myself, we, um, we had been speaking with, you know, now our shareholders and our investors really about the future of, of this company. In, in the future of, of IQL and the present that we actually live in with IQL, the idea around the company is basically saying, look, if you have a GIS map location of a, a farmer, you're already head and shoulders above anybody else. It's, it's one of the, the, the main impediments that you find in African agriculture is really you know, farmers that are sitting in isolation. Nobody knows where the farmer is. Nobody knows what the farmer is doing. So when you actually have have line of sight of a, a GIS map location of the farmer, and then you're able to produce what we consider a digital twin, um, it really makes for for exciting times. Um, it's it's exciting in the sense that you can provide a, a ton of tools and analytics to be able to help farmers um, uh, produce in a more optimal fashion. And then, you know, with my background in finance and obviously um, having exposure to the insurance sector and my partner having um, exposure in the input sector, we realized that you could reduce a ton of friction in the supply chain, leveraging the technology to be able to get these critical products and services um, directly to the farmer. So I, I, would, I would broadly characterize us as an ecosystem builder which is, I think, you know, one of, again, one of the, the major headwinds that has consistently um, butted up uh, against African agriculture. IQL recently raised a $4.5 million round of investment, taking its total secured funding to more than $7 million. It signed a major POC with one of the largest banks in South Africa, as well as with a couple of co-ops, and believes it has line of sight to 10 million farmers. It is now rolling out an enterprise suite for market aggregators. We've developed and are just in the process of moving out into production the first of its kind um, enterprise suite 
to allow market aggregators. So whether you're, uh, again, a bank or if you're an insurance company or if you're a cooperative, you know, one of the major disconnects is they don't have line of sight of where their farmer is, who their farmer is. Documents are still, you know, collected um, manually. So we've now uh, put together an, an enterprise product which interacts with our flagship product, which is Farmer's Friend, our farm management platform. And it really just, again, you know, reduces, reduces friction in the environment. So um, that was an exciting milestone for the company because, we, you know, we looked around and, and we saw, obviously, with the proliferation of ag tech, you know, funding probably over the past five years, that there was nobody doing what we were doing. And, um, and it's exciting. And I think, you know, when you're in your zero to one journey, you, um, you have to be really dialed into some of the intangibles. You know, obviously, everybody would love to be profitable and, and have massive top line growth. But at the same time, when you're really trying to optimize for something as unique as a market like the, the, the agriculture sector, you, um, you even have to take the small wins. Meanwhile, IQL has also acquired an insurance provider, Agnovate Insurance, to bring its insurance offering in-house and has also launched South Africa's first soil moisture index policy. This all means it is able to craft policies around the real levers that affect outcomes. Again, you know, leveraging the tech is being able to craft policies around the, the real levers that uh, affect outcomes. So instead of focusing on what yield is and in, in, in basically, you know, playing a lottery ticket on that, you're actually saying, okay, you know, if you have a certain amount of soil moisture and you operate within that band, the probability of you having a successful outcome at the end of the season is much higher than if it deviates from that. So it's this product creation that really is driving down cost which is going to up accessibility, obviously, to the product. I mean, you know, the, the, the amount of underinsurance that happens on the continent is just overwhelming. So um, there's, there's been a number of really exciting milestones, and, and we're continuing um, in, in a really positive fashion. Product releases such as these are all geared towards boosting Africa's agriculture space, which David believes has real promise. There is, he says, a moral imperative to ignite it, given its real potential to, simply put, feed the world, Though those trying to do so face some roadblocks. Look, it's 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 been a, a massive question mark at least since you know I arrived on the continent since two thousand and eight. Um, you know, everybody from governments to academics often sit around the table and they talk about the promise. Um, there's there's a moral imperative to helping work in the sector to be able to ignite it. Um, you know, Africa still holds 60% of the world's arable land for in, increased production. Um, and at the same time, if you take, you know, the existing TAM, which I think is, look, I, the, the numbers are all over the place, but I think optimistically, I think there's roughly about 800 million um, farmers on the continent. Just to get productivity gains out of those farmers, um, Africa has the opportunity to not only feed itself, but to, to be able to feed the world. And, and I know a, a lot of people talk about that. And, um, and it's, you know, somewhat anecdotal because I think still at this point in time, what we're, what we're all shooting for is to be able to, to attempt to get scale. 
But, um, but the fact of the matter is, is that, I mean, especially if you look at what's happening in Eastern Europe um, with supply chain disruptions and input costs, which has just led to this incredible inflationary environment, you know, the, the, the time is now more than ever to be able to get productivity out of the resources that are currently being used and to be able to, in, a, in not only a culturally relevant way, but an environmentally sound way to be able to go and in, in increase cultivation on the continent as well. Wade Breitenbach is an agronomist whose work has been primarily focused on improving crop yields. He joined IQL as a product manager in 2022 and works with farmers to integrate the company's products effectively. He agrees with David on the scale of the opportunity within the continent's agricultural sector and its global relevance. Africa is absolutely you know, perfect in terms of its climate for, you know, growing crops, um, a huge variety of crops. Um, you know, if you just look at the amounts of land that's arable, you know, you're looking at almost about 50% of the land in Africa alone is arable. So in terms of a global scale, you're looking at a big food producer. I mean, you know, security for global populations, you know, I mean, we know that the, the population is growing substantially, um, you know, every year and the need for food is, is doubling on, you know, call it on a yearly basis. So, I mean, Africa then as a, as a continent, that, that opens up a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, even if you look at the amounts of people that are involved in the agricultural sector alone within Africa, you're looking at almost 60% of the working force in the continent is involved in agriculture. You know, whether it be growing crops, whether it be in the, in the food producing side, when you start looking at your, you know, the whole supply chain around agriculture, is massive. And I think, you know, Africa is, is a bit behind. Um, and, you know, that's not, it's, it's, it's got nothing to do with, you know, current situations. I think it's, it's got a lot to do with how Africa was portrayed, you know, call it over the past hundred years and how it was, I would like to say the word extorted, but I think we're getting there. And I mean, you know, you, you just start looking um, at, at the basics and sort of from the from the access to sort of basic, uh, you know, internet, for example, having access to a cell phone, that, that, that will really start changing, you know, the way that farmers are operating. And I mean, you know, we've got some of the richest soils, um, amazing climate for growing crops. Um, and that's just, I mean, call it, you know, growing crops, not within a, an indoor space. I mean, that's, that's a whole other range of, of, of ways that we could look at it. But I think Africa is just a bit behind. But I think, you know, you, it's, it's sort of startups, you know, like ourselves and, um, you know, other, other companies that were, you know, coupled along with big companies that have been established. And I think we will get there. But what is holding farmers back? Access to finance is the main thing, says David. Look, I, I think you can kind of look at it from two different directions. You, look, you can look at it from bottom up as well as top down. And I think, you know, as a company, we tend to focus more on the bottom up and, and what is the pain point of the farmer. And so, you know, just as I, I was talking a little while ago, I think, you know, any sort of, any sort of conversation with a given farmer on the continent, they're going to immediately tell you if you ask them what is holding you back, it's, it's access to finance and then access to product. And, um, and typically the access to product in meaning seed, chemical, fertilizer, those kinds of products, um, typically that is because of a lack of access to finance. 
So, you know, I think it's one of the difficulties, especially when Africa sits as a continent, sits on the same stage as the rest of the world to kind of show off, you know, what's being developed from the tech side. Look, you know, in our opinion, it's, it's great to be able to put together marketplaces and places where you can sell. But, you know, the fact of the matter and kind of the, you know, a root cause analysis is always going to yield a lack of access to the critical resources being um, finance, insurance, and obviously product that, that can be delivered, you know, closer to the doorstep. The importance of finance and access to it when building successful farms and agribusinesses would explain why so many of the first wave of agritech businesses in Africa, your farm crowdies and your farm drives, and many more, sought to address this issue. Wade says tech is allowing farmers to build up a digital track record and access more finance to help their businesses grow. You know, when you start looking at, you know, the, the money that's spent on, on you know, finance within farmers' uh, insurance side as well as the product, it's, it's a multi, multi-billion dollar business, you know, just within, you could just look at a province in South Africa and, and you know, you, you're running a multi-billion dollar business throughout that. So I think that is that is it. I mean, at the end of the day, finances, um, you know, when you look at banks, uh, when you look at co-ops, the guys giving money out to these farmers, I think they... So from where we sort of started is they wanted oversight, you know, where, where's our money going and what are my chances or my probability of getting that money back? And I think what it's doing is sort of, you know, I wouldn't say expose, um, it's a bit of a negative connotation on that, but sort of, you know, bring to light exactly what their clients are doing. And I mean, when you start looking at your finances and your banks, they, they don't often have, um, a very good understanding of what's, what's happening on, you know, that piece of land. So I think with the tech space, it, it gives that ability to sort of simplify it and, and break it down into a way that they can sort of, you know, okay, you know, this farmer is doing everything correctly. Um, you know, if I look at his past season, he's sort of been reliable. You know, I mean, farming is very, very reliant on environmental factors. So you can have hail that comes in and, and damages a crop and he's got no yield, but that doesn't mean he's a bad farmer on track record. So I think what, what the tech is doing is allowing sort of a digital track record of farmers, um, giving a bit of, you know, I'd say comfort for the finances in order to, to put money in. Access to finance is not the only issue for farmers, however. There are also policy challenges and different farmers experience different problems in different places. From the top-down perspective, because I do think it's worth noting, um, especially with the amount of kind of development dollars that get spent on the continent, um, there's certainly there are policy issues. There's policy distortion, and I I think that's again, you know what what makes the 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 sector as a whole so interesting and so challenging at the same time is, you know everybody likes to to kind of think of of this pattern recognition where you talk about farmers and this they're this homogenous group, and you know the the, the pain points that a, a farmer is going to suffer from in Kenya is not necessarily the the same sort of pain points that a, a farmer is going to face in South Africa or Ghana. And so, you know, it's being able to kind of understand, you know, the cultural context in which farmers are working in, the environmental context, and then obviously having the the two natural pain points or the three natural pain points that I had mentioned being the, the access to finance, insurance, and product. Wade says farmers are affected by both micro and macro challenges, and that the best way to help them is to mitigate the risks. No, it is definitely not uh, performing at its optimum. Um, I don't think anything could really. Um, 
You know, I think if if you would like to sort of define optimum, you could. It's it's kind of like an endless scale. I mean, you could you could get something as optimum as current, you know, technology is. But you know, every every day and every week, there's something developed um, that will increase productivity. So, I think though we are behind in terms of 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 where our potential is. Um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of uh, sort of you know problems we have this side, for example, load shedding. Um, you know, load, load shedding has such a big impact on a farmer's business. I mean, when you start looking at even irrigation, uh, you know, you you have a power cut for six hours and you need to irrigate your crop. And, you know, you have to then run a diesel generator to, uh, you know, water your crop. So then diesel becomes a cost that you haven't factored in for the season. Um, you know, so that there's, there's those sort of a- aspects that, the infrastructure has a big role to play on a, a farmer's business. And I think call it the, the reliability of his business. Um, and when you start looking at transports as well, um, fluctuating diesel costs and food costs, um, you know, that, that doesn't get factored in. It's, it's, it's such a long game agriculture. You, you're planning for a 12 month season and, you know, from now until 12 months time, I can tell you a lot of things are going to change. So I think it's about it's trying to mitigate the risks within that change, and I think that's where the, the insurance side, um, you know, offering up insurance as you know that that I think is, is is the biggest thing that a farmer could could rely on when it comes to the you know the ever changing markets um, within Africa. for thought there then on the issues facing farmers in Africa and many thanks to our friends at IQ Logistica for discussing them and indeed making this series possible. While, as we have mentioned, the first wave of agritech in Africa focused on the core requirements of farmers on the continent, mostly financial ones, in the next episode we will discuss other solutions and how they can best work together to solve the continent's food production challenges. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week.